Uh, this is the last midweek uh, Advent service. We will not have one next week. Next week we'll have uh, no service on Wednesday, but Friday night at 11.30 we'll have Christmas Eve service. Saturday morning at 9, we'll have Christmas uh, morning service and then regular worship on Sunday. Don't forget when we're done here tonight to meet us downstairs for uh, uh, some, dessert, some dessert and some fellowship. So uh, stand with me and let's pray and then we'll get into worship. The Lord Almighty grant us a quiet night and peace at the last. Amen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to herald your love in the morning, your truth at the close of the day. Please stay standing for the first hymn. confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Holy and gracious God, I confess that I have sinned against you this day. Some of my sin I know, the thoughts and words and deeds of which I am ashamed, but some is known only to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask forgiveness. Deliver and restore me that I may rest in peace. By the mercy of God, we are redeemed by Jesus Christ and in him we are forgiven. We rest now in his peace and rise in the morning to serve him. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading for this past Sunday is Zephaniah chapter 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. 
He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is from Romans chapter 8. This section of scripture, one of my favorite in all the Bible, it's about creation itself longing to be redeemed by God. God's not just interested in saving your soul and my soul. God's interested in rescuing all of creation. And this comes out real clear in this text from Paul here, where he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the, gl- with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand with me for the gospel reading. This is the text about the triumphal entry of Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Uh, You may be seated. I'd like to, uh, if I can, open us up in prayer tonight. Father, be with us as we look at this text from Zephaniah and keep our eyes focused on the future, Father. Keep our eyes focused on the hope that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can wait for it, like Paul says in the Romans 8 text, that we can wait for it with patience, knowing that it's a guaranteed thing that you are going to bring about your new creation, that you are going to get rid of sin and evil forever, that you are going to renew our bodies and our creation. Help us to hope in you. In that light, Father, we pray that you would be tonight with Sandy and with Wayne and with Mike and that you would pour physical strength and energy and healing into their bodies and that you would care for them like you, their heavenly Father, only can. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Old Testament reading, Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a little-known book, of course. Uh, Maybe you remember it because, well, it's kind of the weird, one of the weird titles you have to remember when you're learning the books of the Bible when you're a kid. It's not a long book. Zephaniah is a prophet to Judah about 40 or 50 years before Judah gets blown up by the Babylonians. So he's definitely ministering in in, in kind of a rough time. And and Zephaniah, basically, just three short chapters, but it's primarily negative. It's basically the announcement of the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord, a lot of you know this. The day of the Lord is Old Testament prophetic language for when Jesus comes back, when God sends his Messiah and gets rid of all the bad things, and establishes and redeems all the good things. When he vindicates Israel, when he punishes the evildoers, when he gets rid of war, when he gets rid of God's enemies, and when he establishes his people post-resurrection forever and ever. Day of the Lord's kind of a catch-all phrase for that, that big event, which, which you and I now know, uh, living on this side of the cross, is kind of a multi-tiered event beginning with Jesus coming and his death and resurrection, and then finally being completed fully when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Zephaniah is preaching about this day of the Lord, but he's mainly focusing on the judgment parts of it for uh, the big chunk of Zephaniah. And um, it's like I say, he starts off judging with with judgments against Judah, then in chapter two, judgments against all the different nations. But then in chapter three, he's still focusing on the day of the Lord, but he wraps it up with some hope. What you have in there, your bulletin there, uh, you know, Zephaniah 3, I think it's uh, 14 through 20, is the very, very last verses in the entire book of Zephaniah, the very last verses. And it ends with renewal and restoration. And the whole point is this, of course, is that when you're going through the first part of Zephaniah, the badness that's in the world around us, you can live with God's promises to judge it but you really, really, you can't move forward until you're convinced that God's going to make all things new. That's really the only way to make sense of your life. It's the only way to wake up in the morning and have any sort of hope is the belief that there's a God who's going to make all things new and put all things to right. That's the text where we end up this evening. I want to point out a couple things about it to you. I don't know if you noticed this, but verses 14 through 17, different than verses 18 through 20. 
Verses 14 through 17 are a psalm. And, and the Lord in verses 14 through 17 is in the first person. No, he's in the third person. We are being called to praise and rejoice and exult over him because of the mighty things that he's going to do. But when you get to verses 18 through 20, it's God talking in the first person. So again, verses 14 through 17, God is in the third person. Verses 18 through 20, God is in the uh, first person. Verses 18 through 20 is pretty much like, I mean, the whole book is in the first person. God is talking, saying, I'm going to return. I'm going to judge. I'm going to put things to right. Verses 18 through 20, just like that, only real positive, which we'll look at it in just a second. And then right there at the end, though, just a few verses before the, the end, is this wonderful, beautiful psalm of praise to the God who's going to make all things new. So thinking about Advent tonight, let's start off by looking at verses 18 through 20 and talk about the day of the Lord, but the grace side of the day of the Lord, the redemption side of the day of the Lord, the mercy and love side of the day of the Lord. So just, I'm just going to read through this and to talk about what it looks like here. This is not anything fancy that we're going to do tonight. Verse 18, the Lord is going to gather us for a celebration. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival. The festival meaning like uh, Passover, right? And the, the, the great Jewish festivals where God's redemption would be celebrated and lived in there at the temple, which, you know, of course, Zephaniah has been prophesying all along. There's going to come a day when the temple's not going to be there and those celebrations are going to cease. There's not going to be any more Passover festivals, but the festivals are going to come back someday and you are going to celebrate there. God's going to, God's going to gather you together and you're going to celebrate. Same, uh, same thing down in verse 20. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, I'm going to gather all my people together and, and, and I'm going to put them back together. There's festival, of course, celebration of God. Like I said, you know, we're used to thinking of Passover celebration or church as a celebration of God and who he is. But check out this language. This is super important. Pay attention to this. In, in eight, uh, Let me see, where am I at here? Uh, 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. That's interesting. Look at this uh, in verse 20. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. Same thing in verse 19, very last line of verse 19. I will change their shame into praise and renown among all the earth. So when God gathers us together for that last great festival, did you catch that? I'll, I'll try to make it real explicit. We're getting together. God will gather us together so that we can praise him. Who else is getting praised here, though? It's us. It's us in both verses 18, 19, and 20. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Verse 20, at that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned in praise. It wouldn't be unsurprising would it, if God ended up, the very last verse of Zephaniah was, when I gather you together, I will make my name praised. We would totally expect that, and we should, because that's what the Bible's about, is, you know, God's name is worthy of being praised. That's certainly true. But also, you someday will be praised. Think about that. Do you, can you imagine a world where you will be worthy of praise? So some of you, it's just not even on your radar screen. And part of that is good theology. You've been taught that you're totally depraved, and there's nothing holy within you, and there's nothing righteous within you. And that's all completely correct. But, but what you don't want to do is to lose yourself in that identity and forget about the fact that that's all true for the purpose of you believing it, trusting in Jesus, so that one day it won't be true. 
So that one day, that sinfulness that's holding you back, the thing that, that, that memory that you have of that sin, of who you are, the sins that you've committed, will be gone and washed away forever, and you will be worthy of praise. Certainly not in the same, on the same level that the Creator, God, who planned all of this, is worthy of praise. But definitely, he says, at, at very, right here at the end of Zephaniah, he's going to make us objects of praise. You should read C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce sometime. It's this fictional story about, you know, a trip to heaven. And the guy goes to heaven, and uh, the, the, the narrator goes to heaven, and uh, there's an artist in heaven talking to another artist about how here in the new creation, we make art, and everybody loves it and praises it, regardless of the person who made it as a famous artist, or if they're not a famous artist. Because everybody, by the grace of God, being perfected in the new creation, makes things that point to God. And whether somebody's building, a, you know, constructing a, 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 a terrific building or somebody's, you know, painting a beautiful painting or writing some great music or w- whatever it is, we will all praise that on the last day as a way of praising God. Look, so another way of saying this, you and I were made in God's image. There's, there's things about each one of us that reflect who God is. If I, am to, if I am redeemed and, I, and you are redeemed, I should be able to see things in your life now, even if it's just hints of things that remind me of who God is. And on the last day, the day of the Lord, when he makes that, when he pulls back the veil, when he takes away all the darkness and the shame and the sin, and we see each other perfectly reflecting the image of God, it will be irresistible to praise God through who he's made us to be. That's the vision that Zephaniah has. The only way that this is possible, by the way, is if God ultimately gets rid of, big word here, shame. Verse 18, you will no longer suffer reproach. You know what reproach is, right? The sense of like, I'm not worthy. Whether you're telling yourself you're not worthy or other people, you, you know other people think that you're not worthy. Um, uh, jumping down to verse, uh, hold on here, verse 19, very last line, I will change their shame into praise. There's a part of each one of us that you don't like. There's a part of, and some of you, it's like almost all of you. And some of you, it's little chunks of you. But all of us have at least some part of our life that we're like, I hate that. I don't like that. Maybe it's how you look. Maybe it's the way you treat people. Maybe it's thought patterns that you're trapped in. Maybe it's your financial situation or the house you live in. It could be any number of things. It could be everything for some of you. But there's stuff that we don't like. And and the only way that you're going to be able to accept Somebody looking at you and saying, yes, I see God in you, in in the new creation, is if he takes away that shame. And that's what he's going to do. What's the thing that you don't want other people to know about you? What's the thing that you're most embarrassed about? What's the thing that keeps you quiet at parties? Or what's the thing that makes you talk too much at parties because you're trying to cover something else up? God is going to take that away on the last day at the great festival when he gathers us together. The other things he's going to do here, these other three are in verse 19. He's going to deal with all the bad guys. I will deal with all your oppressors. All the people that are opposed to you. All the people that have made your life miserable. All the people that want bad things to happen to you. God is going to deal with them. Now what does it mean deal with? Well, a couple of things in the prophets. Sometimes it looks like punish them. Sometimes it looks like forgive them and rescue them and bring them into the festival too. But either way, God's going to deal with that. When God acts on the day of the Lord to create new creation, there will be no more people against you. It's almost impossible to imagine especially in our social media world where it's us and everybody's against us. And that's just the way we see, that's the filter through which we see everything. Sports, politics, even the weather. It's the way we see everything. There's going to come a day when God is going to end that 
Those who oppress will be dealt with. Second thing in verse 19, I will save the lame. God's going to fix all of your physical problems. God's going to, all the things that trouble you physically, all the things that trouble the people that you love physically, God's going to get rid of them. Here, it's lame, but you know from Jesus' life that it's not just the lame, but it's the blind, and it's the deaf, and it's the people with the skin conditions. It's the people with the deaf conditions. At least three times Jesus raises people from the dead. He's going to deal with our physical problems and make them new. And I will change their shame into praise and gather the outcast. I'm sorry, I skipped that line there. And he's going to gather the outcast. There's going to be no more marginalization. Every single one of us, there are certain places in our life where we know I don't belong there. I, I, I don't fit in there. I'm not a part of that group. God's going to take, he's going to get rid of that. He's going to take that away. There will be no more shame. There'll be no more outsiders. There'll be no more, what's the word he uses here in the ESV? There'll be no more outcast. He's going to gather the outcast into the party as well. All these things God's going to do. Well, how's he going to do it? Probably the best way we can get at this without reading the whole book of Zephaniah is just to jump back to that Psalm in verses 14 through 17. And let me point out a couple things here. There's a key phrase in Zephaniah chapter three, and the phrase is, in your midst, in your midst. That phrase, in your midst, shows up more in Zephaniah 3 than it does in any other chapter in the Old Testament. It's kind of a, uh, like a, uh, it's a hanger that you can hang key, key thoughts on. In your midst. Something is in your midst. And it's the first part of Zephaniah 3. In the bad part, the judgment part of the day of the Lord, it's not good stuff. So in chapter 3, um, verse 3, it says, her, it's talking about Jerusalem, her officials in her midst are roaring lions. The leaders of the city of Jerusalem in her midst are roaring lions. They just devour. All they care about is consuming. They see the people that they're called to serve as prey for them to eat. That's who's in their midst. Uh, this, but this is not in the bulletin. This is prior to our text here. But uh, uh, shooting forward to um, um, uh, verse 11, he says, for, for then, when God finally acts, I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. The people who treat other people as inferior. The people who manipulate other people. The, the, this might be kind of parallel with the leaders from, from, back, from back in verse 1. But the people that are in your midst who make much of themselves and don't serve other people. Those are the people who are in your midst. I'm going to get rid of them. Now, what is going to be, once you get rid of the bad leaders, once you get rid of the proud and the haughty, what will be in your midst in Zephaniah 3? Well, our, our psalm here, we well, can look down here now. Our psalm tells us this. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. 30-second commercial. The Bible consistently, you, you read Psalms like this, whether it's in the book of Psalms or here in Zephaniah, the Bible is always telling us to rejoice. Why is that? Well, we're romantics. All of us have been affected by romanticism. We have this notion, in the West, all of us have this notion that emotions are just sort of spontaneous and they spring unbidden. And so, you know, if you want to feel emotions, you kind of sit around and wait for them to hit you, you know. And that's not the way it works in the Bible. God has to tell us to rejoice because he wants us to rejoice. We're not rejoicing, but we can rejoice by the power of the Holy Spirit if we'll just do it. So frequently, rejoice is a command. Uh, commercial over. Uh, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Now that the bad leaders are taken away, now that the prideful are taken away, now's who in our midst? The Lord. The true King of Israel is now in our midst. And here's what he's going to do. You shall never again fear evil. He's going to take away, he's going to be a good king. He's going to defend us. He's going to take away all the bad things. That's what we need. He's going to have power. 
but he's going to use that power to defend us from evil on the last day. All leaders use their power, all human leaders, more or less, use their power to gratify themselves at the expense of others. I'm including myself, maybe most of all, in that. Whatever it is, whether you're the leadership of your family or your leadership role at work or your leadership role in church or the leadership role in your community, it is because of our fallen nature we use power to benefit ourselves. But when the true king of Israel comes, he is going to defend us against evil with his own power. He will have no evil himself. He'll be all purity, all righteousness, all magnificent, holy power, and he'll use that to defend us. But second element here, uh, one more time where he uses in your midst. Keep on going, verse six, uh, uh, 16. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord God is, here we go again, the Lord God is in your midst. Now, look in this verse. What does it mean that he's in our midst now in this verse? Uh, he will rejoice, uh, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. That's motherly language there. A baby needing to be quieted and a mother holding the baby in its arms and singing to the baby in order to calm it down. This is motherly language. The last line is a little bit more, uh, it's not so much uh, um, uh, uh, lullaby-ish. He will exult over you with loud singing. He will love, he does, he will then too love you so much that it will cause him to break out in song thinking about you. This element of God being in our midst is all about love. The first one, the Lord God, the true King of Israel is in our midst, is about power. This one's about love. Look, this is the two things that we all crave. We crave somebody who's powerful enough and somebody who loves us enough to take care of our needs. Look, most of the time in your life when you need money, you're going to butt up against two types of people. The kind of people who have the power to fix your financial problems, but no desire to right? People you don't know, the rich guy who lives across town, the bank. Or you're going to have people in your life, like me, who love you enough to fix your financial problems, but have no money. I don't have any power. These are the kind of problems that we constantly butt into as humans, is that there's nobody that we really know who's infinitely powerful and infinitely loving and thus perfectly prepared to mother us into the kingdom, perfectly prepared to protect us from all evil because he wants to, because he loves us so much. Perfectly prepared, although he rules over, the, over all the universe, to look at you and sing songs of joy because he just loves you so much. God is that person. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. You are the person that God defends because he loves you. You're the person that God loves so much that he wants to defend you. He rejoices over you with singing. Who is this talking about? We can use the word God. Of course, it's a little bit generic, a little bit vague. We can be a little bit more specific in the gospel reading. We find out who the true king of Israel is. That's mentioned in verse 15. The true king of Israel is Jesus. Look at John chapter 12, verse 13. This is what the people are saying. And by the way, there's all kinds of language in Zephaniah and in Zechariah, both Zephaniah and Zechariah, that are echoed in the language of the triumphal entry. The people are saying about Jesus when he enters Jerusalem, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They get it. Maybe they're going to turn on him in a few days. But in a moment of Holy Spirit-fueled lucidity, in that moment, they recognize Jesus as the true king of Israel. Come to Christ. He loves you. He's powerful enough to save you. He's determined to do it. He's determined to take away all your shame. He's determined to gather us all in together so that on the last day, we're going to praise God and praise each other for the great things that, that God has done in creating us and in redeeming us. That's the kind of God that we're waiting for with patience, the God who's going to make this happen. Stand with me and let's pray.
Let's pray. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. In righteousness I shall see you. When I awake, your presence will give me joy. Be present, merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of life may find our rest in you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you and keep you. Amen.